Good afternoon, this is Gary Kavner here on TRSI. Today is Wednesday the 1st of July. We're now more than halfway through this year of hell. I'm here today with my friend and colleague, Michael Dwyer, and today we have a number of things we want to talk about. But first, we want to start, I think, Michael, with an uplifting tale of a woman rediscovering her patriotism and her love of her home country. Yeah, it's a touching story because, you know, we we read, you know, that young people these days increasingly, they're, they're cosmopolitans, rootless cosmopolitans indeed. They are what some people call the nowhere generation. So they don't really feel like they belong anywhere. They're... But then this, this, this young woman comes along. She has dual citizenship. She's a citizen of Canada as well as China. And then, at what must have been a difficult time in her life, Gary, considering, you know, the court case and the charges and the prison and the interrogations and all that, that all that stuff was going on, that she should choose at that time to rediscover and reassert her essential Chineseness, her solidarity with her people, abandoning that, I would say, pseudo-white privilege that comes with being a Canadian... That was, you know, it was a remarkable story. For those who have missed this uplifting tale of a woman coming back to her motherland, we're talking, of course, of the uh, Sun Quan, I believe, is the pronunciation of that. I butchered that no more than I had to. Who was a Chinese citizen and a practitioner of Falun Gong, banned or forbidden techniques, which just makes it sound very appealing who was a Canadian um, citizen. She moved to Canada in, I think, 2000s, in the mid-2000s. Became a Canadian citizen. She was also with her husband. They owned a, I believe, a chemical company. She was, she had a personal wealth, I think, which some estimates put in the billion range. It's a very wealthy woman as well. Yes. A couple of years ago, she was back in China, and she got picked up by the Chinese government. Yes, unfortunate. Because, well, you see, there's two theories here. One is that being a member of the Falun Gong is a crime, and two is that the Chinese government thought that they should be the people controlled how that billion-dollar fortune was spent, which I think is a thought process any of us can understand, yeah. if given the option. So they picked her up, and... Um, she just got sentenced to eight years in jail. What she got sentenced for is not important. It's no. not important to us, and it certainly wasn't important to the Chinese government. Mm, okay, I take that on, on as your word. Well, it certainly wasn't important to Chinese courts. <laughs> so she, now you would think, after being, this, uh, being picked up by the Chinese government, held for a couple of years, put through several trials, and then a mere couple of weeks after a Canadian... Uh, court, I believe a British Columbian judge ruled against a Huawei executive. Yeah. That you, you know, she's given this eight year sentence. And that I think, Michael, you think that's the point where most people would turn away from their country the most. But not this person. Not Miss Sun. Miss Sun decided, off her own bat off and without coercion, that not only was she going to be jailed for eight years, yeah. she was going to write a confession saying that. She did whatever the Chinese government said she did, which was probably how the Chinese government put it to her. Mm -hmm. And she renounced her Canadian citizenship, meaning that Canadian government would have no reason to seek her release. They would have no standing, as it were, in a kind of international case. Because she's not a Canadian citizen. Not a Canadian. She used to And she be. also, Michael, and this I think shows the level of trust that Miss Sung has in the intrinsic justice and honour of the Chinese court system. Do you know, Michael, she also waived her right to appeal. <laughs> I'm sorry, but it's... Uh, mm, okay. That you should let... You should give her some warning there, yeah? There was... This comes after a bit of a rocky patch but of Miss Sun's relationship with the Chinese government, given that she... Well, the Chinese uh, government barred her from using her own legal team, and she had to appear with a state-designated lawyer. Okay. Who I'm sure did everything in his power to ensure the right outcome for Miss Sun. But she had told a lawyer that she managed to talk to 
a while ago that she was tortured by the uh, by the Chinese state. So that was a rocky period, but it's good to know that she got through that period and has rejoined her heart and mind to mainland China of her own volition. I'm with a minimal of electroshock. I have no doubt. You think you think with minimal levels. Yeah, so I mean, you know, she she says she's been tortured mm-hmm. and then she writes them and says, actually, sorry, I'm gonna plead guilty and I don't need to talk to you again. I won't I won't need a lawyer for this. But some people, Michael, some people can't accept this for the good news story it is. And why is that, Gary? I mean some people have said that they have described, Michael, the idea that someone might be picked up for several years, confined and tortured, and then confess and waive their right to appeal and voluntarily abandon the citizenship of another country which could see them released or could see that country apply diplomatic pressure. Some people, Michael, have described that as surprising. Surprising? Mm, I'm guessing these people have never read Brave New World. Oh, maybe they have, Michael. That was a fiction book. Yeah. I mean, one Chinese human rights activist who had apparently dealt with her said that what had happened went against the idea of common sense, which I think we can all agree is a very pessimistic reading of the evidence. Well, it's not obvious. Now, luckily enough, for China anyway, the people who are saying that this is surprising or in some way may not be binding do not include the Canadian government. Because so far, the Canadian government has refused to comment on the trial entirely. So they wouldn't confirm whether Miss Sun has renounced her citizenship. They refused to say if they thought the trial was fair. They refused to say if they thought she was tortured. Well, you know, how long is the piece of string? They also refused to say if Canada's envoy to Beijing had protested against it or had any concerns about China's conduct. But they did say that they closely monitored the case. Well, you know, I think that's all you can ask for them, really, isn't it? And I mean, I think, Michael, we just have to accept that this is the heartwarming story of a billionaire joint owner of a biochemistry company learning to love her country again to such an extent that she doesn't ever want to leave it and she feels that she has to go to prison for eight years with no ability to appeal in order to make up for her previous lack of love for her country. I think moving on from that to less of a good news story less, for China. Less of a good news story, okay. Let, well, I mean, that, as we said, Michael, that is a heartwarming story of a woman coming to love her country. Yeah, recovery. And those who suggest that woman had the ever-loving shit tortured out of her until she renounced any hope she had of getting out of a Chinese prison in order to stop the beatings are pessimists, Michael. Because China wouldn't do something like no, that. I, I, I'm reminded of that, the, the great wisdom of the old proverb, Gary, is, you know, the beatings shall continue until morale improves. Morale improved. And it, it, obviously. So the beatings worked. Yeah, but in, in, as I said, slightly less positive news, though I suppose that depends how you look at it, Michael. Everything is positive with the right approach. Uh, two new reports have just come out, one from the Associated Press and one from a group called the Jamestown Foundation. Okay. The Jamestown Foundation is like a think tank that focuses on areas of the world that are of strategic interest to American governments at any point. So you know, if America is having is looking at you know a war in a region, they'll focus on that. So they do a lot of stuff in Russia and China and Afghanistan and the Middle East at the minute. They would be their primary areas of interest. Now, both of those look at a province of China called Xinjiang. Now, Xinjiang is um, a bit of an odd province in that it is technically an autonomous region of China. Okay. It's, it's where the Uyghurs would find their home, Michael, along with a number of other ethnic minorities in China. So we're over sort of near the western border kind of country. I think it's on the northwest. There have been camps appearing in Xinjiang for a while, shall we say. Re-education camps. Yes. Estimated to be over a million people in the camps at the minute. Mm -hmm. The Chinese government denied that the camps existed, but then eventually satellite images of them appeared, and now the Chinese say that they are um, camps to train people in vocational skills. Okay. 
which is... Yeah, but it's odd that they're only doing them here, isn't it? Yeah, and it's, it's odd that lots of people go in, but not many people leave. Vocational training, traditionally, Michael, and I don't know if you know this, but I do, having grown up in a more working-class environment, uh, traditionally has an end to it. Yeah, they, they eventually let the plumbers out into the world to do plumbing. They don't just keep them there reflecting on the philosophical meaning of plumbing. No, and I mean, I, you know, I don't know that many plumbers, but when I talk to them, most of them, I have a feeling, didn't get gene typed and didn't get medically tested in order to, let's say, determine the health of their organs. Right. And I never had a thought that, like, Ballyfermot College of Further Education, for instance, was secretly harvesting the organs of its students for sale on the black market. You never thought that even once? No, weirdly enough. But, Michael, I am... I'm a trusting man. You're a sunny side up kind of guy. Yeah, okay. Yeah, so those are the small differences between vocational colleges in Ireland and these camps. Hmm. Hmm. But anyway, so two new reports came out, and the gist of both of them, both very negative reports, very, very negative actually, uh, one of them explicitly says that what China is doing in Xinjiang now meets the definition of genocide, as set out by the UN. Yeah, that's kind of rough now. Genocide, because genocide's one of the bad ones. I mean, you can be genocide adjacent. Mm-hmm. You ever, do you remember the movie Tropic Thunder? I do. Do you remember the phrase, you never go full retard? <laughs> yes. It's kind of like this. You never go full genocide. Like, you edge around about it. And we found from historical relations with China, if you edge around it, people are kind of okay with it because then they don't have to do anything and we can keep buying Chinese stuff. But if an investigation finds that they're legitimately carrying out genocide, that's problematic for trade. How's that film not being got yet for the blackface? I think it simply goes so far that they do. Usually you you want to stop stuff. You sense a weakness in it. And you know if you demand it, it'll be withdrawn. Because I'm not sure with that film, because it simply just goes so far. An episode of Golden Girls, where they were wearing f- mud face masks, has been withdrawn from show from from broadcast. Because the face mask look was perceived to have been blackface. And this, and, and Robert Downey Jr., who does this most incredible crass imitation of, a black man in a in a Vietnam movie, and I haven't heard a word about it. I think maybe they just had forgotten about it. Uh, it's important to know here the, the the new reports aren't actually about the camps as such, although the camps turn up in them. The new reports are saying that it's genocide because it turns out from uh, one of the report looked at leaked Chinese Communist Party documents and the Associated Press report. They basically just went in on the ground and started asking people about things. And what it basically looks like is that the Chinese government is systematically sterilizing ethnic minorities. So that ranges from permanent sterilization, implantation of IUDs, um, injecting people, uh, forcing people to allow themselves to be injected with compounds that will stop pregnancy, and forcible abortion. And they have been incredibly successful in this. From 2015 to 2018, if you look at particular provinces here, between 2015 and 2018, two of the mostly Uyghur regions saw the birth rate drop by 60%. That's 2015 to 2018. I mean, across the entire region, birth rates have been dropping like a stone in a well since about 2015, 2016. Last year, the birth rates across the entire region fell by 24%. And I suppose, it's, uh, to, to be clear uh, at, and state the bleeding obvious, if you look at Han birth rates, this is not happening. No, in fact, what the Chinese government are doing is if you are a uh, Uyghur, they are promoting you marrying into Han families. 
And if you do that, you will receive appliances and subsidies and maybe even a free apartment. And also what they're doing is if you are a Han family, they're looking particularly for young families if they can, from another part of China, from the eastern part of China, as far away from Xinjiang as they can get, and you're willing to go there, they will give you appliances, a monthly uh, cash payment, a free apartment with up to four years rent paid on it, sorry, a rental apartment with up to four years rent paid on it, and a guaranteed government or police job with a minimum wage. Jeepers, I... That kind of deal, I'd marry one myself. Well, no, you don't need to marry anyone for that. You just need to bring your family to live there. All oh, right, if you're Han, like, oh, yeah, see, I'm not Han. No, you're not Han, so you you wouldn't uh, you wouldn't get any of this. And I suspect so, that in China, you can't self-identify as Han. No, China hasn't really gotten on the self-identification trend. The Chinese state takes less of a "you are what you say you are" approach and more of a you are what we tell you you are so approach. you couldn't just turn up with a beard and a beer belly and say i am a lady and be taken seriously in china no but if you turned up with a piece of paper signed by the ccp that said you were literally anything such as let's say a large elephant mm-hmm. the populace would abide by that yes because it's really not worth your while not to well so we have ethnic minorities are being sterilized their birth rate is cratering the chinese government is trying to bring in people from the han chinese group into the region and so that that's why experts are saying this this is genocide yeah now some of the leaked documents and some of the ap reports on the ground some of the interviews they do explicitly make clear that if you have too many children, if you refuse to take um, birth control, you will be sent to what the Chinese are referring as vocational training camps. So you've got to think, you want children, but do you want children enough to be interned? Vocational training camps. The Chinese have a long and illustrious history with finding good names for bad things, don't they? Vocational training camp. I mean, it is a really interesting approach to uh, terrorism management. Mm-hmm. They thought the Uyghur population was problematic. There's a long history of why, but it kind of starts in kind of 2016. And so they just decided, well, we'll just sterilize all of them. Yeah, you know. And we'll bring in our own people and we'll put pressure on the Uyghurs to marry into Han Chinese families. And then they can have their children and they can have a refrigerator, free refrigerator from the Chinese government. And, um, you know, it's, it's all a good time. So basically disappear them as a people. Yeah, because you see, the camps are really just a stopgap measure. Yes. And people remember, like, the camps are a thing. They're a story. They're something that you have to consider. And it's a constant problem for China. Where if there are simply no more people in the category of Uyghur or other ethnic minority, there's no problem. You don't need to intern people because they simply don't exist. Yeah, again, well, you know, you have to say in the Chinese, and this is, you know, best of luck to them, have not really bought into the notion that the more diversity, the better. No, they haven't. In fact, they seem to have gone very much the other way on this. Now, this could prove problematic for the rest of the world, Michael, because genocide is one of those things that traditionally we've taken seriously. Uh, we don't anymore, for the most part. No, but enough people kind of care that. Well, it's going to be it's it's going to get acres and acres. Well, it in of newsprint I was going to say, but actually that would depend very much on how it's framed. But you think it's going to get a newspaper ink will be spent on this in in London and in Dublin and in New York and in Los Angeles. There may be some television news made out of it. There may even be maybe a a documentary or a dramatized story. This oh, and just just if if you're unaware of what the the definition of genocide actually is, as opposed to the way people use it, genocide is defined by the United Nations as 
the deliberate and systematic extermination of an ethnic, racial, religious, or national group. Uh-huh. Which, Do, yeah, it doesn't specify the methods that, you, that are used. No, no, much like eugenics, there's more positive and more negative ways of doing it. But the important thing is that you are trying to restrict or cut off the bloodline of a people or of a uh, religious or racial group. And that it's done systematically. It has to be an, done by an entity capable of actually carrying it out on a systematic basis. Well, I think anybody who's looking at things fair-mindedly would say that the Chinese Communist Party and the the, 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 state, the state of China is perfectly capable of doing this kind of stuff. It's, and doing it well and competently, indeed. Now, the problem here... So, let's say we say it's genocide. Okay, well, how do we actually determine if it's genocide? Traditionally, it would go to the UN, and the UN could investigate and determine if something is or is not genocide. Mm -hmm. There is, however, one slight problem with that. One minute flaw in getting the UN to find that China has committed genocide. Is it something to do with their having an occupation themselves? Well, you see, Michael, the United Nations is this very lovely organisation and it's all about meeting and countries being on equal terms and meeting together in love and fraternity and brotherhood. And I think we can all agree it works fantastically at that. But Michael, at the core yes. of the United Nations, the the hard, realist core of the United Nations... Yes, yes, the beating heart. ...is the Security Council. Yes, this is true. And when the United Nations was, was being formed, people did try and get rid of the Security Council... And they were told very explicitly that there's either a Security Council or there's no UN. And the Security Council, on a realist reading of it, would be the nexus of all control in the UN. It can control what happens, because if any member of it says that they don't want something to go ahead, then it doesn't go ahead. They have absolute veto power. Yes. And the problem here, Michael, with the UN finding that China is committing genocide, is that China is one of the five permanent members of the Security Council. So there is actually an important point to make out there. When I said that any member of the Security Council could veto something, that's not actually true. The Security Council has 15 members of which five are permanent. The permanent members can veto any substantive resolution. Yes. And so the rest of them are there. They get to be in the room. Like Ireland, for example. Like Ireland. We, We get to be in the room and we get to be We get to be amongst our peers. All 15 states can have a a wonderful agreement, and then at the end they can be told what's going to happen by the permanent members. So you can be somewhere between a witness and an accomplice. In genocide. Yeah. And Michael, that's not something you get to do every day. It isn't, you know. Unless you sit in the United Nations Security Council. There are not many. In which case, let me tell you, the next couple of years, you're going to be getting it most days. Not many of the not many Irish government uh, uh, ministers in the past have had that opportunity to say, you know, we're going to send somebody over there, and you just sit there and watch closely, and you know, if you pay attention, you 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 can see how a how a properly run totalitarian state organizes a thing like a genocide. Even if that was not the case, a country could individually investigate China and say we think that they're committing genocide. That won't happen for this reason. It's called the duty to prevent. Right. And basically, if genocide is taking place, the UN will generally consider the sovereignty of a country something that cannot be breached. So sovereign countries do not invade other countries. They do not do anything that would breach their sovereignty in their own space. But if they're committing genocide, you've got a duty to prevent that genocide. Like the way they did in Rwanda. Well, kind of, but less so, because in Rwanda they went into the country. Well, yeah, after a million people had been killed. I met Michael, I know you think that the UN's behaviour during the Rwandan genocide is the low bar, but I'm here to tell you it's actually the mid bar. This will be the low bar. Okay, well, I suppose it's a question of optics, isn't it? The, this is, this, there's a phrase which is used by the intelligence agencies, at least in films and on television, which is to describe an operation as being a wet operation. And that means there's going to be blood. 
So the Rwandan genocide was a wet genocide. I suppose this is not going to be a wet genocide. It's going to be different. It's going to be a dry one. But so, a ge- but it will be a genocide all the same. Yeah. So no one will find that this is a genocide because, well, then you'd have a duty to prevent the genocide, and China is a major trading partner of most of the world and a core part of the supply chain of pretty much all of it. And it's also a nuclear power. Also a nuclear power. Mm. <laughs> now, ironically, we were talking about you know, nuclear power and coal power and green things and all of that. It's, it's, it, it, it may be a nuclear power, but it's, act, but it's a coal superpower. I, it's, uh, so, there, I don't know, did you see somebody was doing numbers on the back of an envelope regarding the impact that it would make if Ireland just completely stopped using all forms of non-renewable energy, right? I mean, I have, but I prefer the one that simply says the impact of Ireland stopped to exist. Right, go on. It's pretty much exactly the same result. Basically, it it was a matter of of two days' worth of (laughs) Chinese coal-based energy production. And as we speak, the Chinese are... Building is another 58 coal-powered power stations. And we're going to beggar ourselves. We are going to absolutely beggar ourselves notionally in order to do this. But we'll be a leader, Michael. Yeah, we'll be a moral leader. Everybody will be looking up to us in the world and going, God, look at Ireland doing that. We should do that. It's a funny thing about the things that Ireland and our political class want to be moral leaders in are things that there's absolutely no opposition to yes whereas if we wanted to be let's say a moral leader in the opposing of genocide Mm -hmm. that would have quite a negative impact on this country because china will respond to that with the subtlety and grace of a sledgehammer wrapped in razor wire and if you want you want to know about that ask an australian but i i wanted to i thought This would be a fun little thing, Michael. The International Court of Justice. In 2007, they had a case called the Bosnia v. Serbia case, which you can probably guess (laughs) the purpose of. (laughs) The Bosnia v. Serbia. Okay. And that was the first time the court declared that there was an obligation of what they call diligent conduct to prevent genocide. And I just thought you might like me to read you some of that. Okay, go on. So, it is clear that the obligation in question is one of conduct and not one of result, in the sense that a state cannot be under an obligation to succeed, whatever the circumstances, in preventing the commission of genocide. The obligation of state parties is rather to employ all means reasonably available to them so as to prevent genocide so far as possible. Mm-hmm. Which I think goes to the point about being a leader. Sometimes you can't send troops into another country. This is true. To stop genocide. But you could certainly say, well, how are they funding that genocide? Where are they getting the materials from? How are they building the infrastructure? Can we cut that off? Can we make that more expensive? Can we reduce their funds and force them to pull away from this purely out of financial or um, uh, financial concerns or issues with supply? So it it openly says that that's the case. It's not the case that if you can go, we can't do anything, you can then say, well, we have no obligation to do anything. No, you can't just cop out. Now, but here's the problem and why it will never be found by any major country that China is committing genocide. A state can be held responsible for breaching the obligation to prevent genocide only if genocide was actually committed. Sorry? Because at the time... A state can be held responsible for breaching the obligation to prevent genocide only if genocide was actually committed. It is at the time when commission of the prohibited act begins that the breach of an obligation of prevention occurs. So what that says is basically this. If a genocide happens, but you don't know at the time that a genocide is happening, you have no obligation to stop that genocide, quite reasonably. Because you don't know there's one happening. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The second you know that a genocide is happening, that it is confirmed, you have an obligation. And if you don't meet that obligation, you are then yourself in breach of 
the obligation of prevention. So the important thing here is to not find out. So the important thing here, Michael, is that while everyone knows China is doing it, no high-level governmental body of any major country or country that wants to keep trade relations with China can ever find that China is committing genocide. Because if it happens, then you have to do something. And yeah, you don't want to, to do, do anything. Or else you become complicit, complicit. in genocide. Yeah, so, like I say, the important thing is we never find out. Yeah, so everyone can know, media, think tanks, NGOs, they can do whatever they want. But the government can never say it's happening. Because then they have to do something. And they don't want to do anything. Because now is an opportunity to show moral leadership where it could actually hurt you. Which I would say is really the only time you can ever show moral leadership. You're not brave if you do something that there's no risk of harm to you for. And so nothing will be done because no one wants to do anything. Yeah. Anyway, this has been the latest TRSI update on China's march towards cartoonish evil. God, it really is losing the run of itself completely. I mean, to think that one not that long ago, people were confidently predicting that we were seeing the gradual transition from controlled plant totalitarian state and economy towards the evolution, maybe in a particularly Chinese kind of way, but the evolution of a liberal democracy in China. That seems like a very long time ago now. Yeah, instead it just seems like Western countries, by integrating China into it, their supply chains and making it a major trading partner, have in fact given the Chinese all of the resources and items they need to build a very high-tech repressive state which has no problem forcibly sterilizing massive, massive amounts of people, millions of people. We are, we are now talking about potentially numbers higher than the Nazis. Which is just... Oh, it's yet another example of this what, this world we live in, Gary, where we have gone through the looking glass. We, we will have mass protests during a pandemic, potentially risking untold lives. People will burn American cities to the ground. They'll pull down statues of the founders of America because one man died. Si- you want to talk about systematic structural racism? I mean, they're literally rounding people up into camps if people from the wrong ethnicity refuse to be sterilized. And for all that we go, well, it's, it's a country very far away from us, China is entirely propped up by international trade. Yeah, and you know what? It's, uh, it is a, it's a country far away from us, but how much farther away from us is China than Los Angeles? Do you mean physically or like metaphorically? I'll tell you. There are, well, I was going to say that restaurant-wise, you know, I, we are metaphorically surely closer to us than we once were, but physically, I suppose I meant. Um, it's it's not laughable. I don't know what the word is. I don't know what the word for many things are anymore. But there is obviously a collective conscious decision, for, so far anyway, for countries in the Western world, to say, okay, we are not going to see this. We're not going to look. We're going to close our eyes. We're going to stop up our ears. And hopefully they'll get it done quickly so that we don't have to stay like this for too long because we don't really like this and we feel like we look a bit ridiculous. That is what they will do. Anything else happening in China, Gary, worth complaining about? Oh, um, small thing, Hong Kong. That new security bill is coming into force. It, yes, uh, will probably be in force before you actually hear this podcast. And chances are that you and I, Gary, are probably committing a crime under that bill and could be open it for to arrest. Well, yes, no, absolutely. If you haven't been following this, basically, I was about to explain the history of Hong Kong, but we really don't have time for that. No, Hong Kong is run under a different system than China because of agreements the Chinese made with Britain to, in order to get back Hong Kong, which I believe was taken by Britain during the Opium Wars. One China, two systems. Yeah. China is now putting in a new law to give it sweeping security powers inside Hong Kong. It's effectively destroying the system it agreed to put in place until 2040, which, as I believe one of the former governors of Hong Kong said, 
kind of shows that China doesn't really care what the treaties it signs say. No. Which is also not a great thing for a nuclear power that currently seems to be carrying out genocide. And it's also kind of having a small-scale proto-war, perhaps, could we describe it, with another nuclear power up in the the high passes of the Himalayas, but that's another thing we don't have to talk about. No, no, we won't won't mention that one either. That's also very complicated. The the lack on its own is like 30 minutes of explanation. Anyway, whatever about the... I'm going to assume you've been following the security law to a certain extent. Yeah. If you have, check out Article 38 of the law. It's a doozy. (laughs) So what that article says is that the law as written applies to people who are not permanent residents of Hong Kong and commit a, a crime under the law while outside Hong Kong, which is to say the Chinese Communist Party has just granted itself um, extraterritoriality over everyone on the planet. Yeah. So if you say anything that the Chinese government doesn't like and you then set foot in China, your ass is theirs. You got to respect it. I mean, it's. I'm, I'm reminded of that moment in Catch Twenty Two, when Yusarian, the hero of the novel, has ca- the nature of Catch Twenty Two explained to him. In the line from the novel is something to the effect of Yusarian let out a low whistle and shook his head and said, "Wow, that's some catch, that Catch Twenty Two. And you have to say that the Chinese, that's some law. So you might you might say, well, why would they want to do that? And I would say there's two main purposes. One is that if you are from Hong Kong and you go to, let's say, America or Europe and you speak in a way the Chinese government doesn't agree with, eventually you're going to have to go home. And the second you land in Hong Kong, they can pick you up. They may not. They'll probably rely on the freezing effect of it, on the the chilling effect, that you will know that can happen and so you won't do it. The other option is that they will use it against people who speak against Hong Kong who are not from Hong Kong, but may at some point set foot on Chinese soil. So in that case, you'd probably have things like barring you entry, maybe an uncomfortable night in a jail cell, unless you have Chinese citizenship, in which case you should revoke that before you go back into China, because then you can't revoke your other citizenship first. (laughs) Yeah, So what we're starting to see is... There were activists in Hong Kong who were on Twitter, on Reddit, on Facebook, on any platform where they could bring things to people. They have all started to disappear. Not because of the Chinese government directly, but basically to hide themselves, to destroy any evidence that might be used against them. And a prevailing trend in what I've seen from these people is a, I wouldn't say assurance, but a fairly solid idea that they now have a fairly good chance of being killed sorry it's not quite to the point but it it's worth commenting on in passing anyway you know you're saying that the the, the chinese have introduced this law which is uh, retrospective and that which is offensive to those principles of jurisprudence that have been established oh i suppose since the enlightenment but even before that i mean probably since since the early modernity uh i don't know if you saw the stories there's a number there are a number of state constitutions in the united states which are being re-examined at i think at least one case there's been a vote and they're now in the process of getting rid of those sections of laws or indeed of constitutions gary in the united states which say it shall be illegal to discriminate on the basis of uh, race, gender, sex, whatever. They're repealing the discrimination laws because the discrimination laws are now perceived not as being positive and liberal and progressive, but as impediments to the kinds of new radical progressive laws that are necessary to deal with the deep-seated institutional and structural racism that is poisoning the United States. So they're actually going to introduce, <laughs> the laws they're going to introduce would be illegal under non-discrimination laws. So they've had to get rid of the, the non-discrimination laws in the battle against racism. 
which I just think is, you know... It is a good one. It's, Schmeck, it's, it's a good line. so delicious in... But, you know, these people are absolutely irony-impaired, so there's no point in talking about irony or comedy even with these people. They just look at you blankly. There is quite a lot happening now that is terrible, but also deeply amusing. Quite darkly amusing. Oh, yeah, dark, dark, pretty dark. But speaking of um, discriminating in order to stop discrimination, I think we'll just wrap up on this. Yes? Reddit have a new policy. And you may ask, why are we talking about Reddit? Is that not nerd nonsense? And you'd be largely right. But it's also one of the largest websites in existence. For those who don't know, it's basically a platform on which you can set up small forums that people who are interested in a particular topic or item or group can come together and talk about. That you can search through it, you can find things of interest. And it's a chance for enthusiasts or people who are interested in a particular area to come together. Reddit introduced a new hate speech policy. And Michael, I've got to tell you, it is fabulous. Now, we should Mm. also, for those who don't know, Reddit, in the stakes of being woke and progressive, Reddit would have had a, a reputation for being woker and more progressive than pretty well everybody else. Yeah, one of the founders of Reddit resigned during the Black Lives Matter protests with the stipulation that his board seat be given to a black person. Any black person. Just a black person. Because, Michael, nothing says merit. Like, just give it to a black person. Yeah. Respectful. The new policy is saying promoting hate based on identity or vulnerability. And there's a couple of interesting things on this. It lists the things that it says cannot be um, attacked. And it's got the usual race, colour, religion, national origin, ethnicity, immigration status, gender, gender identity, sexual orientation, pregnancy or disability. Do you know what's missing from that list there, Michael? Uh, No. Sex. Sex. So, it doesn't matter if you're a man or a woman. It doesn't matter what your sex is. It matters what your actual or perceived gender identity is. So, weirdly enough, man or woman, male or female, as biological sexes, you can say anything you want about them, as long as that's not their gender identity. But this is the interesting line. While the rule on hate protects such groups... It does not protect all groups or all forms of identity. Mm-hmm. For example, the rule does not protect groups of people who are in the majority. So, on any of those things we just listed, the majority identity is not covered under this policy. Which is to say, you can say anything you want about a person's race or their gender or their sexual orientation. Or anything of that nature, yeah. as long as they are in the majority. Now, I mean, you could fall, uh, you could fall under you know, other policies like harassment and bullying, but you won't fall under the hate speech. But where are they measuring this? Well, I, I sent an email to Reddit's press people asking this, and I said, well, look, when you say majority, do you mean the majority of the planet, the majority of America, which is where Reddit is headquarters? Yeah. Do you mean the majority of the region the user is in or do you mean the majority of reddit's uh user demographics because if it's based on let's say america well you can say anything you want against uh white people straight people women or sorry not women because sex isn't involved people who identify as women and christians because i suspect when they wrote this they didn't realize that women are actually the majority in america well or they don't care Maybe they just never occurred to them, but yeah, women are pretty well. In in in, unless there's been some weird demographic stuff going on, women are always in the majority, slight majority in 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 countries over men. So yeah, you couldn't you couldn't say this about men. But is that the case? Is it the United States that they're using as the as the metric? You know, Michael, they never got back to me. Did they not? I'm shocked. Well, actually, weirdly enough, what you're saying there, globally, uh, women are estimated to be 49.6% of the world. Because there are missing women. 
I'm I'm not sure of the reasons, but that is the uh, the reason. Yeah, I sent them quite a detailed policy, and I know they received it because they said they get back to me soon. Um, but you know they never got back to me. But I I also asked like, if a black and white user are talking, and the black user racially insults a white user. And then the white user responds by racially insulting the black user. The white user under your policy would be banned. Is that correct? Didn't get back to me. And um, But what if both of them are from an ethnic minority? What about an Asian are, and are, Hispanic user? Are there not more black people in the world than white people? Like, if you're in Nigeria, I'm fairly sure that whites in Nigeria would represent minority. And therefore should be able to say what they like about the majority population. Yes, if majority is defined regionally. Um, I did also ask them if they had any comment for the people who would say that the policy is clearly racist and sexist and potentially homophobic, depending on how we're measuring these things. But, I mean, they haven't gotten back to me. I'm sure they'll get back to me at some point, and it's just been very busy. Weirdly enough, most of the press are not reporting it in this way, Michael. They're instead reporting that Reddit is taking a glorious new stand against hate speech that saw 2,000 subreddits, basically forums, uh, banned. The LGB group, which is uh, a group with campaigns for the rights of uh, women, as in the rights of women not to be erased, and uh, fights against certain contemporary forms of homophobia, made the observation which I thought was interesting as well I mean if, if it's still active if it's true maybe it have changed I don't think so that there was a reddit group which was dedicated to the notion of the existence of biological sex and there was a women's group the women's group was closed the parallel men's group was left open that's a weird thing Michael because reddit is refusing to release the names of the thousand or the two thousand subreddits that they banned mm-hmm. because they don't want to uh, promote those subreddits that no longer exist. So I think you know we'll update if Reddit gets back to us before they update the policy because someone threatens them with legal action, which is what I suspect would happen. But I mm. just want to close by telling people that if you use Reddit. And you would like to engage in bigotry, please reach out to Reddit to see if they're applying these rules based on regional, American, global, or demographic basis. Because in that way, you can more perfectly target your bigotry towards what Reddit has declared acceptable targets in your location. And that way you won't be banned or punished because you are doing something that by the fact that Reddit have explicitly carved it out of this policy, are now saying is perfectly fine. Yeah, so it's, so, it's, it's important to get clarity on that before yeah, so you, you go on and do your prejudice thing. Yeah, you want to keep your, your bigotry region-specific, I would say, most likely. But do check with Reddit, shoot them an email, and I'm sure they will get back to you with the racial, ethnic, racial, uh, sexual, and religious groups in your area that you can publicly be bigoted against. Uh, which I, you know, I would prefer just a landing page, Michael, where I could say I'm from Ireland. Who can I say terrible shit about <laughs> without getting banned? Who can I, yeah, who, who's the horrible? But, I mean, as a stand-in while they develop a new system. Yeah. I mean, it's certainly a streamlining of bigotry. Yes, absolutely. I mean, it's another innovation from Silicon Valley. It's a great time This is right life. up there with Uber giving you lists of restaurants that were owned by blacks so that you could not go to them. Yeah, I'm sure, I believe they're working on their kosher list as we speak. Well, I mean, this is this is obviously more wide-ranging immediately. And, you know, you could always VPN to an area where you can say terrible things against the Jews, if you want to do that. Or Muslims, you could VPN to somewhere in the Middle East where they're in the majority. And then it, it's racist still or against their religion, but not hate speech. So maybe the real lesson here is a sufficiently good VPN is the solution to a surprising amount of problems. And, of course, an implacable opposition to political Zionism, but nothing else.
because that would that's not what we're about. Anyway, yeah, uh, I suppose maybe we'll draw uh, for the time being. I think we'll be coming back to this story when Reddit eventually do return to you. Um, we'll be. Will we be back on Friday, or are we having an interview on Friday? Lots of interviews these days. Lots of great stuff going on. Yeah, there. we have. I think we have. We have a selection of interviews. I'm not sure which one we'll put up on Friday. Um, we've Deirdre McCluskey. We have the headmistress of McKellis School in England. That'll be a good one. Um, will we have Peter Hitchens by then? Uh, no, we'll have Peter. Hopefully next week we'll be doing Peter Hitchens. Will come. We'll be doing a, a broadcast. Um, we hopefully will be having uh, the week after that. Lovely Glenn Lowry will be coming on board. We might. Have, we might have to start putting up two po- or two interviews a week. We're getting all the good stuff, as all these goodies. People will be getting a reputation shortly. Oh, and if you're interested in the things we mentioned about China and organ harvesting, there is a two-hour interview with Ethan Gutman that uh, Paddy Manning carried out, uh, who wrote the book on um, organ harvesting in China. He also spoke at the uh, recent uh, tribunal in London on organ harvesting, which, shockingly enough, Michael... Came back with a fairly compelling, yeah, China is harvesting organs from people at pretty much a systematic level. Yeah, well, they would say that, wouldn't they? The International Tribunal on Organ Harvesting? Yeah, yes, I mean, they would. Yeah, they're, they're, that, that, that's the kind of thing they're 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 kind of, Michael, they're almost obsessed with it, Gary. Yeah, you know, I I will go out on a limb here and say I feel at the point. An international tribunal on organ harvesting has been called to look into whether or not you're systematically harvesting organs from still living prisoners. The fact it's been called in the first place makes it quite likely that you are. It's a bit of like, you know, the old clues in the question thing. Yeah, I think if they're asking the question, they've probably got a fairly good answer with uh, idea what the answer is going to be. But anyway... Uh, so what, whoever is going to be up on Friday, it'll be somebody worthwhile. We shall, however, be back live and in person on Sunday with our Sunday miscellany. Gosh knows what will have happened in the world by then. But if you can stay safe and stay with us, even uh, keep out of the pubs, but get your hair cut. You look like a chrysanthemum. Um, we will see you and speak to you on Sunday. And I think you should also reflect on the lessons that Miss Sun's treatment and newfound love of her country, what lessons that could teach you in your everyday life? And perhaps you yourself will rediscover your love of your homeland before your homeland turns up at your house and makes you. And goodbye.